You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. A lot of cheating going on out there. You ain't cheating. You ain't trying. Clearly. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last. Advice to live by. Yeah. You're Houston Astros. Ricky Bobby and Houston Astros. It's. I don't think this is pushed the AFC and NFC championship games off of the national conscience because I think those are still the top priority of the week. But, man, oh, man, did baseball. They came with it this week. They brought the fire, and uh, they took a blowtorch to just about every little, uh, you know, every little thing that was going on in the game. It was just set ablaze. The fire's and, still burning, by the way. Yeah. It hasn't been put out yet. The embers are still are are staying alive. I think the smoke is clearing, and we're seeing that there's more and more fire behind the smoke than we thought. We thought it was just a little sort of burst, but uh, this seems to be a, a large one. Um, I, I'll say this as a Mariner fan, as somebody that grew up watching Seattle and and knowing that the Astros are the chief team implicated in all of this, you love to see it. You just love you to absolutely see it. You love this hour's big three. Number one. Well, let's start there. Baseball's sign-stealing scandal continues to grow in size, scope, and when it comes to the repercussions. Three managers have now lost their jobs, as well as one general manager. Fines have been levied. First and second round draft picks forfeited. The latest accusations coming on Twitter involved specific players. They involved Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman specifically. Now, these are just allegations at the time. They came from a Twitter account that has now since been shut down. Uh, someone who, I don't know if they were claiming necessarily relation to Carlos Beltran, but claiming relation to someone who had worked for the Astros at that time claimed that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman specifically wore electronic buzzers on their shoulders during the 2019 season. This would be new allegations because the Rob Manfred investigation that concluded earlier this week only involved 2017 and some part of 2018. So this would be new. This would mean a longer scope. And uh, if you remember, Altuve hit a walk-off home run against the Yankees against Aroldis Chapman, of all people, in the 2019 ALCS to send them to the World Series. And when he was rounding it home, grasped his jersey, told his teammates, finger-wagged at them, don't you think about ripping it off? Uh, now, could that be because he had something concealed underneath? He claimed afterwards that it was only because he was shy. We don't know. And that is the crazy part of this conversation. Usually you should be innocent until proven guilty. But at a certain point, if you've cheated this much, and we already know that you have, do you lose the benefit of the doubt there? We also got MLB players finally speaking out because of these newest recent accusations against the Astros. They had sort of a gag order, but you saw Cody Bellinger coming out and saying, if this is true, then the integrity of the game is in question. Something has to be done. We'll, we'll wait to hear on, on further punishments because the Red Sox investigation has not been concluded yet. Alex Cora, while he parted ways with Bob Boston has not actually formally been punished yet and it's expected to be severe so we'll keep discussing this uh, more on the scandal the victims and the long-term consequences at 10 15 a.m this morning
Number two. Well, there's literally nothing else for this season's LSU Tigers team to accomplish after <laughs> taking home a Heisman Trophy with Joe Burrow, AP Coach of the Year Ed Orgeron, an SEC title, and a Peach Bowl Trophy. The Tigers capped it off by being crowned national champions of the college football world, following their 42-25 victory over Clemson. Joe Burrow's record-setting senior season concluded with him passing Colt Brennan, of Hawaii, Nick Rolovich. Shout out to him. Shout out. Colt Brennan's single-season record for touchdown passes was 60. And in the college football playoff between the Peach Bowl and the National Championship, Joe Burrow threw for a measly 956 yards and 12 touchdowns in two games. Unbelievable stretch he had. College football world's attention now turns to the late recruiting period as National Signing Day about two and a half weeks away on February 5th, LSU, wire to wire, national champions, one of the most impressive runs we have seen in college football, really in history. Number three. Well, you mentioned it. There's only three NFL football games left in the season. NFL divisional championships taking place tomorrow. Unfortunately, Seattle, not a participant in those games this weekend. You can see Green Bay taking on San Francisco in the wish this could end in a tie bowl. (laughs) And you'll also see Kansas City take on Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Both games should be really exciting. Pretty evenly matched as well. Uh, But most people anticipating the NFC one to be a little bit closer, a little bit more exciting. But at this rate, we're going to have the Chiefs and Titans play a defensive game. It'll come down to the last play and it'll be the most exciting game for some reason. But for those interested, Chiefs-Titans kicking off at noon. Packers-Niners following that up at 3.40 p.m. So we'll find out who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl tomorrow. We will. That is this hour's Big Three. A great stat that was talked about a little bit on Tom, Jake, and Stacy yesterday. This is the first AFC Championship game that does not feature Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning since... 2002 between the Raiders and these very same Tennessee Titans. Rich Gannon and Steve McNair, the last time that Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning were not in an AFC championship game. I I don't mind the change. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, and Rich Gannon, that name brings up some some tough memories for Chief fans. He torched you guys as a Raider and was a bum with Kansas City. Uh, he was a bum until the one season where he was going into free agency. Gerbach got hurt, and he went on a tear. And uh, Marty Schottenheimer, Schottenheimer, benched Gannon in the playoffs for a cold Gerbach. Broncos end up beating him, going on to win the Super Bowl. Gannon leaves, taking the Raiders to the Super Bowl, and many years of... Uh, just dominating the Chiefs. So not good times when you bring up little Richie Gannon. But yeah, those games uh, get underway tomorrow afternoon. Chiefs-Titans is a noon start, so early, early game, at least uh, an hour earlier than the normal 1 p.m. start yep. that we're used to seeing out here. Some honorable mentions, really cool one uh, this week. The WNBA, their next CBA between the Players Union and the owners, uh, will see significant wage increases in benefits for their players I believe the minimum salary is now over $100,000, uh, which is a huge step up from awesome. where it was. I think it was around like $50,000. Yeah. Um, and, and the now, max salary also increased. Now up to $500,000 yes. for, uh, for star-level players. So. Also significant changes to maternity leave yeah. and, and benefits. So it's just awesome to see. 
And and also makes you think, like, why did it take so long? Yeah, why did it take, what, 23 years <laughs> yeah, for this to happen? Especially with the NBA being like, well, we're considering an in-season tournament with a cash bonus for all the players, <laughs> about a million dollars. It's like, what? Just get, what the? Just put that in the WNBA real quick, and let's get some stability oh. in there. And their viewership numbers have increased a lot in yeah. recent years. Uh, you know, here in Seattle, the Storm continued to be one of the best-run franchises, really in their entire league. And you know, it's it's great to see them finally get the the recognition. And uh, I think a, a a big part of this is I think a big part of why we're starting to see mindsets change towards the WNBA is that you look at NBA players on Twitter, they respect the game that gets played in WNBA almost if not more than what they, I mean, they're the first to say, yeah, these women are ballers. Like I dare any one of you guys out there that thinks you can take them one-on-one just because they're women, like you're going to get dominated and it's not even be close. Like, Yeah. And it's, it's awesome to see this happen and, and, the league deserves it. It's yes, well-earned, for absolutely. sure. Uh, some coaching movement. Uh, first in the NFL, the Browns, the last team to hire head coach Kevin Stefanski. The offensive coordinator of Minnesota is now the head coach in Cleveland. I'm sure they really loved Minnesota's performance against San Francisco in the divisional yeah, round. Yeah. Ooh. And then in the NHL, surprise firing, Vegas Golden Knights, who have been really the darlings of the league since they – Entered into the NHL, what, three seasons ago? Well, they fired their head coach, Gerard Gallant. No relation to Paul that we know of. Maybe. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, that we, we know, know of. Less than two years after taking them to a Stanley Cup. Yeah. It, it's pretty bizarre, but also that's just life in the NHL. Coach head coaches get fired like no tomorrow. Mid-season. But it's they the also like it. retread. And sort yes. of like reattach themselves to other teams fairly quickly. Yep. You you sort of turn over. You're right. It's this carousel where you may jump off one, but you're getting right back onto another. So, and I mean, with when coaches become free agents like this, Seattle, we're going to find out a team nickname soon. We've got a general manager in place. Maybe head coach is next. Who what knows the, what the, the next yeah. domino is? And so, these guys are available. Who wants to come coach Seattle? When it happens, it's going to be a big story. So, I got to get NHL up. twenty and start doing some mock drafts here. <laughs> there yeah. is a, a an ability to do an expansion draft on the game. So we're going to do it on this show because I I've yeah. been wanting to do a mock expansion draft and we'll we'll talk everybody through it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's we not can that do. Far off. We'll do some of it here because it's going to take a while, right? How many yeah. rounds would it mm-hmm. be? Yeah, it's well, probably like eighteen, nineteen rounds. We'll, we'll explain the basics of protected True. players, unprotected players, like the the what happens before in terms of trading with teams. So we'll just, we'll do a basics. This feels like a great Twitch segment though. Oh, I love it. Stay tuned. NHL 20. (laughs) Get on the sticks. Meet me on the sticks. (laughs) With the sticks. Yeah. We'll talk about coming up at the end of this hour, just more about head coach firings and how that can be a good thing for your team. Not necessarily related to Pete Carroll, but more so for NHL Seattle, what to expect when they drop the puck coming up. In, what, just over a year from now, we've got uh, 21. Yep. Or this year, if you ask me. Yeah. (laughs) September of 21 is when it gets going. So we're about a year and a half away from from things being real on that front. But coming up next, the Astros, they're cheating. It has been incredibly real, almost too real. What are the punishments? What should be further punishments? 
We'll get into all of that. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. There's a buzz in the air. <laughs> and it's coming from the direction of the Astros organization. And it's starting to spread throughout baseball. It started with A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau both getting dismissed. That was at the beginning of the week. It feels like forever ago. Then the middle part of the week was Alex Cora getting dismissed as manager of the Red Sox. And then Carlos Beltran, the next manager to see his job get taken from him with the New York Mets. Does it end with those three? Does it extend to the players? How can Major League Baseball prevent something like this from happening down the road? We're going to answer, we're going to do our best to answer all of these here on Seattle Sports Saturday. But I can never remember a time where baseball was in this much chaos, this close to the season. Even with the Mitchell report back in like 06, 07. It wasn't people turning on each other the way it is right now with people being willing to throw anybody under the bus. It's brought up a lot of those philosophical questions, too, about what is cheating, uh, what it, it means to be a whistleblower. Should you ever speak up? Is this a violation of the unwritten codes of baseball? More than any other sport, we hear about the unwritten rules of baseball. But So I think that's why it is provoked such a reaction from people and rightfully so especially when you consider now the the last three years the two two of the managers that won world series in the last three years are without a job yeah that's crazy and there was a possibility the astros could have won it this year like Mm -hmm. they were a couple innings away from winning the world series it's so bizarre that this has happened in 2020 but also We should have probably expected it. Baseball, to me, has been the sport that has adapted the absolute worst to technology. They don't know how to properly institute replay, and they were the last to do it. And they did it only up in, they only started doing it until like, what, 09, 2010, something like that. It hasn't been something that's been around since, you know, the technologies existed. And now they're trying to act all shocked that stuff like this goes on in the game, it's like, yeah, if these kinds of cameras exist, teams are going to take advantage of that, right? That's the same way that Rob Manfred, because I read the entire report that he that he put out on Monday punishing the Astros formerly, or Alex Cora who you, and, and Carlos Beltran, who used to um, play for them but or work for them. But the reason I think he came down so harshly, he said on Jeff Lunau, who may or may not have had knowledge of this, is because he's responsible for all of the people working under him. Well, by that same account, isn't Rob Manfred also responsible for the integrity of every club that is under him? And I think they came down so harshly in this in this case because they want to make an example. They want to deter people from doing this in the future. But you're right, Curtis. I think this was it was headed towards this point, towards a precipice, because I think you could have seen this problem coming and developing, but you chose to not get out on the on the front end of it, you chose to focus on other things like pace of play and creating weird rules changes to shave off five minutes of the baseball game instead of saying, hey, I can see that this, this we're moving towards a problem here. We should probably do something about it. So I think this is a lot reactionary. 
it's it's unbelievable that that is such a like baseball was more concerned with pace of play and more concerned with getting games more condensed than they were with like the actual integrity of it. They were willing to sacrifice just that portion of the game just so they can squeeze in an extra five minutes. Because one makes them money and the other doesn't. It actually doesn't benefit them to have a scandal. It benefits them to have an exciting team like the Astros, a young team like the Astros, and to get people watching these games. It doesn't, and it doesn't, it benefits them if they get more viewership from cutting games down to make them faster or more digestible. But they didn't put their focus on something that actually defends the integrity of the game. They put it on what can make them the most money. In Houston, a massive, massive media market, too. So don't think that the yeah, MLB they're, didn't they're like want. they like top five. Yeah. That's some, that definitely was in the minds of MLB. But this is just. It's so unique because it feels like you you mentioned it, Curtis. Never before have other players dragged other players into the light with them. That when you got busted or popped for steroids or P, or HGH or performance enhancing drugs, it was you. It was on you. Your teammates were sort of separated away from you in that instance, and we were able to focus on that person cheated. They're in trouble. Everyone else is in the clear. They're not sort of in. But now they're bringing them with. They're bringing them in and saying, well, this guy's doing this. And then that person's bringing in someone else. And it's sort of like a terrible game of telephone bringing down a lot of MLB people. I think wasn't it 2003 when Major League Baseball did that that first initial drug test and they had a, a, a list of names that were on it that never saw the light of day. And no one ever ratted on anybody. I think a few names have trickled out from that. I think Sammy Sosa was on that list. Rafael Palmero was on that list. But we never heard who was on that list. But now we're hearing from Mike Fires, the first guy to get this really going. And now he's getting a lot of blowback from people in baseball. Uh, obviously with Houston fans, him being a former Astro, turning on that organization like that. We heard it from Jessica Mendoza, who has a front office role with the Mets organization, but is also duels as an analyst with ESPN. She felt like Mike Fires should not have done that in a public way, maybe should have gone directly to Major League Baseball rather than Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. But is Mike Fires is he going to get blackballed because of this? And is it fair that he's probably could end up getting blackballed? It's the life of a whistleblower, right? Mm-hmm. But... I think that that culture, the hush mentality culture, it's not a good one to have. No. no. And we've seen it in the past in in even more horrible instances of don't talk about this. Stay quiet. Take one for the team. You know, be a team player. This is going to end up hurting you in the future if you come out about this. You won't get hired somewhere else. I think that is, if you have that mentality, that can lead to a lot of, more dangerous things down the road. So I think, unfortunately, yes, he will be, even though he's coming off a great season and could be of use. And that's really unfortunate because consider that teams are willing to look at domestic violence as a market inefficiency and have those people on their team. But this guy, because he broke those unwritten rules of baseball, will be sitting probably out and maybe forever. So that, I think, is is unfortunate. How do you change that part of the culture? I don't know. But maybe as we move towards this in the future where things, I think, feel more player-centric, it's players are more empowered, I think, than they ever have been. 
because people know that your individual stats affect your contracts. They affect how you get paid, and people have more respect for people making decisions that are in the best interest of that. And this is an issue like that because pitchers have had their stats changed forever. They've gone into arbitration with those numbers because of this. So now you're affecting guys' legacies, their paychecks, all of that. And I think that that might start to change the tide. And people are like, why should we care about this? This is only affecting the outcomes of games. But like you said, Lydia, these outcomes of games are directly reflected in the stats that these pitchers are putting up when facing the Astros. And, I mean, you look at the Mariners games in Houston over the last, you know, half decade or whatever, it's been a house of horrors for the Mariners. Last year they lost the game 21-1 to against Houston and only got one hit off the Astros. They also, in that same, I believe that same series, they were no hit by the Astros. Yeah. Like, I mean, I won't let go of the, yeah. the four-game series in 2018 when we swept nice them at got home him. against Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, uh, um, and maybe Charlie Morton was in that mix too. It was, so. it was an all-star crowd. But, yeah, you can't... You, even like on as a pitcher on their team, like Mike Fires was, but even the Justin Verlanders of the world, who's been very outspoken on several issues, I have to believe that you would feel for pitchers everywhere. You know your team's doing this. Aren't you upset for pitchers everywhere? Because I'm certain you would be if you were a victim of this. Was it worth it? I think I don't know <laughs> Great if, we're, question. if we're asking that because honestly, the Astros are going to endure all these things, but in 10 years that title will still be in their trophy cabinet. Will we be talking about this with the same vitriol and venom that we are right now? And if you're an owner, do you think about weathering, like just weathering the storm and it was all worth it because you have a, a, a title? $5 million and sacrificing your reputation for a World Series, I think there are a lot of owners in baseball that would be willing to make that payment and there's probably already owners who have done worse to win a world series that we don't know about that have done things that have just gone on in the history of the game and we aren't talking about it like this but maybe one day we'll talk about it and it'll be a different conversation ben Ryder, he the author of astro ball sort of the the tell-all story of how houston came to be well, it was written he before he didn't this tell came out. everything, <laughs> uh, but he joined Danny and Gallant yesterday and talked about Jeffrey Lunau, the GM of the Astros, and how he has always, always been in search of an edge. Well, look, and again, this is just based on the time that I did spend with the organization since 2014. But the central goal of Jeff Lunau's front office and of the organization as it was building itself up from the worst baseball team in 50 years, which it was when Jeff Luno arrived, was to gain an edge, right? He talked about this concept called the bleeding edge, which is kind of you take risks, uh, you push innovation as far and as fast as you can. Uh, sometimes you get cut, sometimes things don't work out, but you keep pushing it. Uh, the edge is the thing. And they pushed it way too far, it turns out. Yeah, it's, we've talked about it in Seattle. I'm not comparing Pete Carroll to him at all, but we've talked about walking that fine line between like uh, allowing players to be themselves and push the limits of competition, but when it becomes a detriment to your organization, like this is that in a different instance. You're pushing that edge of competition, but then the moral area gets gray, and you start to see it. You're doing, You're serving a greater good in your mind. 
cheat. It's not cheating. You're just doing everything you can to win, which I think is a little bit of the Bill Belichick syndrome, like, you know, the, his thought too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when you, you're in that mindset and it never seems wrong to you. And it seems like the Astros have been living in that for at least a couple of years. Uh, hopefully this is, it's not the end. It's I was going to say, Curtis, it's not the end. It's nowhere you close hope. to being the end. You can hope it's the end. This feels like just the beginning. Mm-hmm. God. How do they fix this? If you have a suggestion, there's been like other ideas float, floated about them removing technology, the replay system altogether, and I have no problem with that. Or the going- flip side, lean into it, completely lean into it, let everyone do the same amount of videography work, if you will. Let pitchers Ooh. wear an earpiece so that they just get the direct. The, the now they're looking the, like Tron. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> droop, droop. <laughs> Coming up, we get into the NFC and AFC championship games. Can anybody put a stop to Derrick Henry? And do the Packers have enough firepower to hang with the Niners' defense? That's all coming your way here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Feels like this time of year we can't get through it without a major controversy. Last year it was the NFC Championship game. This year it's Major League Baseball sign stealing. Well, those darn NFC and AFC Championship games, they're coming our way tomorrow. <laughs> what's next we, year? Yeah, I know. What's what's next year's controversy? Canadian hockey players actually mean. I don't know. Yeah, They're very polite. Nah, I mean, no, now yeah. you cross the line. That's, that's actually too the outlandish. Shot. Yeah. I just want to say is that all everybody's turning on each other on the internet, and yet we still have never once heard Sean Miller's FBI team. So. <laughs> you can tell who the Arizona fans are. Yeah, you can. So that's fine. a direct shot. Yeah, yeah, bear down. They tip off in an hour. Uh, AFC, NFC championship games, the Titans... Shocking the world. One more opportunity to do that before the Super Bowl. They've So far, they've beaten Goliath. Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson. Goliath. Now they've got Pat Mahomes. Would the final boss be Aaron Rodgers? Ooh. Well, didn't they also beat the Texans in the last game of the year? So they beat yeah. Deshaun Watson as well, um, who in the first half of that Chiefs game looked like he was on his way to play a rematch against this Titans game, or the Titans team, but... First quarter did, you know? Yeah. The, the Titans just look like they're rolling on all cylinders. They believe in themselves. Um, I think I mentioned it on air the week before that no 9-7 and team would be as confident as the Titans going in to play the Ravens. That no 9-7 and team facing a – would they win 14 games this year, the Ravens? 14-2. and 14-2. and two. No team five wins lesser would ever go into a place more confident and the Titans showed it, that they just were able to control the game. No fear. They dictated the way that Lamar played the rest of the game. Didn't have an answer for Derrick Henry. No, the control no the one Derrick Henry used Earl Thomas as a blocker. That was wild. Turned him around. And then threw him into another guy. Yeah. It was just... And look, I know that there have been a lot of... Ba- I saw a funny tweet about how there have been so many running backs that have been revolutionary, even this year, that at the beginning of the year, Ezekiel Elliott, he's so revolutionary. Christian McCaffrey, so revolutionary. Now we have Derrick Henry, so revolutionary. Can't they just all be really good running backs? They don't have to revolutionize the game, but they can just be good for being good. And it feels like Derrick Henry has figured it out that... No longer does he need to split time that he is now the full workhorse in Tennessee. 
He's not going to go anywhere in free agency. They'll re-sign him, and he'll be the focal point of this franchise going he's, forward. He's looking like Alabama, Derrick Henry. Yeah. I mean, he's no running back has ever had a stretch like he's had over his last three games, all of them over 180 yards. And he's doing it against really good teams, too, all on the road. And the Titans are 13-0 and in games where he's gone above 100 yards. He put up 188 against this very same Chiefs defense at the midpoint of the season. That game was in Nashville. Tomorrow it's in Kansas City. But, I mean, the Titans, they're a very anonymous team outside of Derrick Henry and maybe Ryan Tannehill. A.J. Brown's yeah, in there, say. too. But name me one person on their defense. And maybe that is what yeah. is working for them <laughs> so well, is yeah. they have that true underdog mentality that nobody is bigger than another person on this team. If you watch the uh, like pregame ahead of the Ravens uh, Titans game, I thought it was great because they had Nick Saban on, and he was talking about when he came in and what position they were going to play him at, like linebacker, running back. <laughs> he goes, uh, "I'm going to let him play whatever he wants." Yeah, yeah. You just you can play whatever you want. It's what six three, six two hundred and forty pounds as a running back. Yeah, like uh, good luck tackling that. But on the other think? side, you've got. Maybe the best quarterback left in the playoffs. and I don't know if there's ever been an arm as talented as Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Which could be a hot take. I mean, there have been some rocket arms out there. but And granted, he is in wow. a perfect system for mm-hmm. him. And they have a lot of talent on offense as well. But, yeah, the, the throws he makes, you know, off balance, off his back foot. I, it's just like it's almost superhuman. And also, he's just a really likable person. Yes. Yeah. Whatever complaints you might have with other players on that team, he is so likable. I uh, actually got a. I was in the same room as Patrick Mahomes Ooh, this summer. Claim to fame. Let's go. Yeah, it was a taping of the Jimmy Kimmel show down in L.A. Oh. And some Chiefs fan was there and had a giant tattoo of Patrick Mahomes on his back. All right. And Patrick Mahomes is like. Oh, cool. I'll sign it. Yeah, he was just so chill about it. Like, I, if somebody had a tattoo of me, which, if you do, text it in. Yeah, please <laughs> like text, text it them. in. Yeah. And tweet us. Tweet at me. Send the pictures. Come to this office. Yeah. We need to meet you. So many questions. I don't know if I'd be as cool about it as Patrick Mahomes was, but, yeah. Just was, as chill as ever. Uh, you look at the head coaches still left. Andy Reid against Mike Vrabel in the AFC. Matt LaFleur going up against Kyle Shanahan in the NFC, I think it's pretty easy to say that Andy Reid's under the most pressure of all four. He's never won a Super Bowl before. He's only won one conference championship. He came, He's come so close. What is it? He lost four conference titles as uh, the Eagles head coach yep. last year. Was a D forward false start away from going to the Super Bowl. This is a coach that's gotten so, so close. You wonder how many more times Andy Reid's going to have these kinds of opportunities. Tomorrow could be uh, maybe, you know, I mean, he's got Pat Mahomes as his quarterback, but nothing's ever guaranteed in the NFL. You could almost say he's the only coach with pressure because the other three are almost playing with house money at this point, and Mm -hmm. I know the expectations in Green Bay are different in San Francisco, but those coaches are new. They're not going to get fired. For second years. Right. Yeah. They are... They're okay. Everyone there is okay. But the conversations in Kansas City are going to be drastically different, win or lose, about Andy Reid and his sort of... You think that the conversation in Seattle was was crazy. Yeah. It's about to really ramp up if the Chiefs lose this game and 
Andy Reid is not capitalizing on Patrick Mahomes' early part of his career. Later in the day. That's the matchup of Sophie's Choice. Who do you root for? Yeah. We have to talk about it. We've been avoiding it. Yeah. But Packers at Niners. Who you got, first of all? I'm going to take the 49ers just because their defense is so good. It is – it's – very reminiscent of what Seattle's was. I'm not saying it's the exact same, but each level of that defense has playmakers on it. And especially with Quan Alexander being healthy, ready to go again. 49ers, they didn't list a single person on their injury report yesterday. So they're all fine and dandy and ready to go tomorrow. That defensive line is scary good. D4, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner. They're linebackers with Quan Alexander, and then in the secondary, you've got a fellow by the name of Richard Sherman. I mean, that is a unit that can just, it can have their way with any opponent. Yes, that's why <laughs> I'm going with Green Bay. I just okay. think it's hard for teams to beat quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers. He's been there. He gets it. I don't think any amount of pressure you bring look you'll be able to get sacks but the pressure you bring on him won't change the way he plays the game and i think that offense is really difficult to stop multifaceted and then defensively i think they're really underrated and the the performance they put on the seahawks last week i think showed that they can do it and russell wilson it took a heroic stretch for him to get the the seahawks back into that game and um i i can see the packers winning this game and I, I just feel like they're even on a lot of things and they're not even when it comes to quarterback play and I think that's why I'm taking the Packers I think it'll come down to whichever coach makes better adjustments in the second half things might remain close in the first but whoever makes those third quarter adjustments the best I think is going to win this game because you saw the the Packers really kind of fall off in the second half of the game against against the Seahawks Yes, they ultimately came up victorious, but they allowed the Seahawks to get right back in that game. And then in the Niners-Minnesota game, they kept, it was pretty close in the first half, and then things really broke open in the second half. So that's what I'll be keeping my on more on. I was at, more like I was asking you more, which are you rooting for in your heart? Because oh. like, yes, that's your pick. Logic deep down, oh, I'm rooting for the Packers. Okay. I'm rooting for a seven overtime, multiple injuries. No, I'm not rooting for injuries. Where it comes down to Nick Mullins against whoever the – Deshaun Kaiser. Is he their backup quarterback? That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't know. Go with that. Um, (laughs) No, I – I guess it's the Packers. I just, like, don't – the Packers are the – we have their number minus this one game, it feels like, and it just – I don't necessarily always care about the Packers. They're not always around. We don't play them every year, let alone twice a year. I don't want the Niners to win. I don't, and I love Sherm, and I think he's a great player and a great dude, but uh, I I don't want to see a Niners Super Bowl win. We'll discuss this more at 1130 because I'm interested in who out, people out there are rooting for, but I think mine ultimate is allowing the Niners to get to the Super Bowl but then lose it because I want them to go the way of the Rams. The most heartbreak possible. The heartbreak and then the fallout, the Super Bowl hangover that might inevitably yeah. happen. I do think Kyle Shanahan's a better coach than Sean McVay slightly has the edge on him there. And that team is maybe slightly more talented on paper, but uh, it's hard to, to deal with that Super Bowl loss. We know that really well here in Seattle. So I think that could give the Seahawks an edge next year. 
So Patrick you... Mahomes, let's go, Taylor. Oh, you you know where I'm at. You know who I'm rooting for. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Kansas City all the way. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, we take a look at the biggest free agent decisions facing the Seattle Seahawks. But coming up, a headline out of the NHL grabbed our attention this week. How does a head coach with so much recent success as Vegas's find their way with their walking papers. We get into that coming up next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in about a half hour from now, a lot of headlines coming from the Cougs this week. Let's go. Got Nick Rolovich, his introductory press conference. Clay Thompson. We got Pullman Clay this weekend. Oh. <gasps> Which is Ooh, it's another variation of Clay Thompson. There's China Clay, yeah, There's which is a great Clay off season Clay. Another great Clay, Pullman Clay. Are they all great Clays? I don't feel like there's a bad Clay. I mean, no, but like Warriors Clay, like that's like he's part of like one of those teams everyone's hates. So mm. he's less liked than the other Clays. Okay. He's still likable, but you know. When you're when you're in a Pullman clay, you're an underdog clay. It's oh, like yeah. everyone likes Starburst, but you save the yellow and orange ones for later, and you eat the pink and red ones first. Mm, gotcha. If okay. if you're a, a person of taste, exactly. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of headlines coming from the Palouse this week. We'll get into some of those in about 30 minutes from now. But right now in the NHL, if you haven't heard. Gerard Gallant, who is the head coach of the Vegas Golden, or was the head coach of the Vegas Golden Formerly. Knights, during their inaugural season, their inaugural inaugural run to a Stanley Cup final, the first team uh, in American pro sports to go to a championship round in their very first season. I mean, how, how do you even do that? Like, that should ensure employment for life, right? Like, that's, that's a, just a remarkable feat. But no, he got fired this week uh, as head coach of Vegas, which to people who don't follow hockey as closely as others, that may seem pretty harsh. But in the NHL, coach firings happen quite regularly. It's par for the course. Unfortunately, there's very little job security. And yet there is job security because coaching jobs are always open. So if you have some track record of success, you usually are able to find a new job relatively quickly. Now, why we are talking about this story is because the NHL Seattle franchise is not that far off from playing here from puck drop. I mean, 16, I can't do math. How many months? Yeah. Don't ask me. Don't look at me. I thought <laughs> uh, it was this year. September of 21, so we're talking eight more months from now. 20 months. Say, 16 months until the draft, but that I couldn't do the math until puck mm. drop, so forgive me for that one. But that's when... The franchise, Vegas franchise, started exploring around this time is when they started exploring hiring their head coach. So that's why we're prompting and asking this question, because could this be a candidate for someone to come to Seattle? But also in general, why does this happen so often? Already this year, seven coaches have been fired or forced out, and it's before the All-Star break. We haven't even made it there. Why is that? Well, some people believe it's because there's just a certain level of impatience. But why do you see this in hockey and not other professional sports? That's a good question. I think because there's impatience everywhere. There is, but you also see it in hockey so often, where teams are able to turn their season around on a dime. 
You also see it where teams can go from the bottom to the very top. With it, with just yeah, the Blues just this last year, it doesn't happen that quickly normally, but it can happen over the course of a season or not. And I think with that comes just this level of, I guess, chaos within hiring and firing processes that we don't see in baseball or in football, where if a team is successful in baseball one year, they can kind of ride that out for a two, three, four-year stretch. Uh, same in the NBA. If a team is successful in the NBA, you can kind of ride that out for you know a couple of years. You don't see guys getting fired in those sports as quickly as you do in the NFL and in the NHL, where I think the the uh, the window of contention in those two sports are just so volatile. Yeah, and you're right. You that's the biggest reason is because you've seen proven records of success after teams fire their coach midseason. Craig Berube certainly didn't help dispel that theory because he took over in November was the of Blues 2018. Yeah, St. Blues. Louis Blues head coach, but took over for a fired Mike Yo in November of 2018. They were in last place in the standings in January, like January 3rd of 2019, and then went on to win the Stanley Cup. So that track record of success is certainly not helping this uh, to dispel this theory. And I think, like, turning it forward to look at NHL Seattle, this also puts his name, Gerard's name, in the mix because this is someone who knows how to build a successful franchise from scratch, essentially. Could he be coming to Seattle? Yeah, I mean, if if you're a hockey fan, you've got to think about and want to have a guy like that taking charge of your team in the first years. Look, Curtis, you mentioned it. To take a team to the Stanley Cup, Year one. They'd never played together before that. Unreal. And and to to get people to buy in, again, to the culture that you're trying to instill in a new organization can be extremely difficult and important because now you look at Vegas and they have some of these players there, and what comes with it is this, the expectations of success. So that's great. And look, you want to be in a spot where – you're winning so much that you have to think about how you can win more. And you think, and like, it's almost like infection. It's like a, it's Pete like a ter- Yes. It's what we're talking about earlier. Right. It's like this terrible but beautiful disease where you have to win and you, you need to feed it with a more compulsion. wins. Yeah, compulsion. Was the success of Vegas in their first year a good thing or a bad thing for Seattle? On one hand, there is the possibility that Seattle puts it all together and year one makes a run in the postseason. But on the other hand, if they fall short and play to what we come to expect from expansion teams where there are a lot of lumps that are taken in the first year, even in the second year, and maybe even extends to the third year, is that something that when fans are gearing up and getting ready to invest in this team is – is it right for them to have the expectations of what Vegas was able to do in their very first season? I think it's maybe slightly unreasonable to think they could go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. They benefited from having an incredible goalie fall to them in Marc-Andre Fleury, and that's not going to necessarily be the case, but you should feel hope about the rules, the expansion draft rules, which have, since the last expansion draft, have evolved, and they are a much more parity-friendly the protected versus unprotected teams are allowed to protect less players. So there'll be more difference makers up there. I think it's three forwards, two defensemen and a goalie. You can 
protect. You can protect either yeah. nine or 11 players, depending on if you want to protect an extra defenseman, because a Correct. lot of teams yeah. do not want to give up that extra guy. So, uh, yeah, you you can choose to have less players but more defensemen or more players and and then leave less players unprotected. So there's a lot of chance for them to be competitive in their first year. But also, you'll find out having a goalie, a clutch goalie, is so important to your success. And if they're able to get one that that is halfway decent, I think they can make a great run. I think it helps because it actually adds to the excitement knowing that, hey, look at this expansion team. They made a run to the Stanley Cup their first year. Why not us? You know, yeah. you can have that belief before the puck even hits the ice. The fan support will certainly be there. Right, yes. and we know that Seattle fans, when you give them something to buy into, they go all in, literally. That was the, the motto for the Seahawks for a long time, was all in, because this city is all in on teams that give them reason to buy in. And I think that having the Vegas Knights be successful and having that early season success, they may not achieve it, but it's possible. And the possibility of being able to achieve that, I think, and the hope of being able to achieve that, I think, will excite people. One of the benefits of being an expansion team, you know, starting out, is that teams, when it comes to the draft, the expansion draft, I should say, teams will give Seattle compensation for not selecting certain players. Exactly. They'll be like, hey, we'll give you a second-round pick if you stay away from our goalie, if you stay away from one of our you know, starting wingers. Or if you take this guy off our hands because of a contract yeah. situation. We'll also throw in a, a we'll throw first in draft pick. picks. We'll yeah. throw in a million dollars if yeah. you take this guy off our yeah, hands. Yeah, if you research how maybe later down the line in April we can go through kind of what it would look like next year. But, yeah, research Vegas's expansion draft and see all of the uh, wealth that they accumulated just pre-draft from what Curtis is saying. So it's going to be an exciting month in April because you get the expansion draft and all that comes before in in terms of picks, and then you get the actual regular draft. Can you imagine? <laughs> Man, it's 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 getting real close. I think we're going to find out the team nickname within about you know a month or a couple months from now. That should that sounds right. And usually, I think uh, March first is might be the league's trade deadline and that's when usually teams or that's when Vegas made its final expansion fee payments and filings and shortly thereafter in early April's when they hired their head coach so that's just how they did it could that be how NHL Seattle does it we'll we'll see it's going to be so nice to actually put a name to all of this. We won't just we won't have to say NHL Seattle. We can say the whatever. <laughs> I, know. I don't know what they're going to be called, but it's going to be we'll have just a relief to actually. And we'll have games to talk about right at this moment when we're talking. You know, we're trying to re- rewind the season, flash forward to next season for the Hawks. We'll have some games and content to talk about at this time. Hopefully next, uh, yeah, next year. <laughs> we'll have some content, not games, but content. <laughs> Gotta love the content. Coming up, what are the biggest free agent decisions facing these Seattle Seahawks? There's obviously Jadevian Clowney. What do you deal with him? But there are some other key contributors up for new deals. Who are we paying? Who are we saying? See you next year. We talk that next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.